we, we look to you again. You are our life. We love you. Because you first loved us. So thank you for that you're always working. We pray that you would move now as we, as we hear your word. This is Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Um, I would encourage you to listen to this as I read it. And if you want to turn there in your Bible, you're going to have a chance immediately after this to talk about it. But sometimes it's good just to close your eyes and listen if you can do that. But again, if that doesn't work for you, if, you, if you're more of a visual learner, that's great. You can, you can read along with me. This is Luke 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a pastor, I mean priest, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, an elder, I mean a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Wiccan from Salem, sorry, excuse me, uh, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay to you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Give me about four minutes to talk about this. Um, what did you notice? What does this tell you about God or about life? What stood out to you? Okay? Maybe what's the point Jesus is trying to make? Go for it. Earlier this week, I got a call from an old friend, uh, his name's Gary, and he had been thinking about our family because we have a pretty good-sized lawn and a terrible old lawnmower. It's like a little push-behind mower. I'm sure it's like 20 or 30 years older than I am, and it has no like safety release, you know, when you let go of the handle and it like shuts the engine down. So he's just like, he's kind of safety cautious and... He's, was, he left me a voicemail saying, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I'd, people would lose fingers or toes because of lawnmowers like that because they don't, you know, there's no way to shut it down quickly. And so he's like, yeah, so I, I just, one night, weeks ago, I just kind of prayed and um, that God would give you guys a lawnmower, you know. So he said a few days ago, a friend of ours kind of came by the house and he just, we were chatting and he said, hey, do you need a lawnmower? I got, I got this lawnmower sitting in my garage. I bought a new one and it works great. I had it serviced every year, blah, blah, blah. Do you want it? And Gary's like, that's the answer to my prayer. 
So I went over to their house Friday and just spent some time chatting with them. And, you know, Gary, you know, just kind of hooked me up with this, this great new lawnmower and um, brought it home on, on Friday. And Sam was psyched to finally be able to mow the lawn for us. So um, we're in a series right now. We're talking about the secrets of the kingdom, where we're going through the parables in the book of Luke. And today is probably the most well-known of all these parables, the Good Samaritan. There's laws named after this, right? I mean, this has been because of Good Samaritan law. I see that face. There's a Good Samaritan law. You ever heard of that? Yeah. Okay, look it up. Um, so very well-known message here that Jesus is giving. I'm, I'm guessing probably 99% of the people in this room, which there's less than 100 of you, so I don't know how that would work, but um, have heard of this story before. Um, and really, you know, uh, here Jesus is, is going through and answering, kind of going back with this guy, a series of questions. And the first of these questions is, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, first, and, and this guy is a, you know, teacher of the law, whatever, and he's, it says he's trying to test Jesus, right? He's kind of poking and prodding Jesus to see if Jesus has the right answers, and so, as any great debater would do, you know, just ask them a question, right? Turn it back on the guy, which Jesus does. He, he says, well, you know, what's in the law? How do, you, how do you read it? And this guy gives the right answer. He's got the right answer. Love the Lord your God. You guys kind of goes with this long version of all these four different things, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus commends him, kind of case closed, right? You were looking for me to give an answer. Actually, you already knew the answer. I agree with you. That is the answer. Now that we all have the answer, this is what you have to do. Jesus commends his answer. Now, um, those two things are really the center of our lives from the way the Bible sees it. Our, our lives are the purpose of our lives. We are born into this world. It is to learn to love. That is why we are here. That is, that is what our existence is about. That is what our journey through this world is about. It's learning to know and love God and to love the people around us. And that's not an easy thing to do. And Jesus is, and this man are both connecting this to eternal life. However you might describe that as living forever in bliss or sharing in the divine life of God. Um, and so um, Jesus is, is then uh, commending this guy who then it says wants to justify himself. Essentially, he, he wants to have, he has the answer, and now he wants to have arrived. He wants to be able to check a box that says, okay, I think I'm good. So he asks Jesus another question, right? So who then is my neighbor? 
Like, who am I responsible then to love? The first of these commands is a little difficult to measure. It's dealing with a relationship which one of the persons is unseen. So a little bit hard to observe from the outside. The second one, obviously we can kind of see how people interact. And he is wanting to know who is my neighbor. Jesus tells this well-known story, uh, very insightful storytelling by Jesus, kind of sets it up in the classic, you know, storyline of, you know, setting, there's a conflict, you know, and then he's got this three different parts, like, you know, any good fable or moral story, but with a major twist at the end, which I tried to highlight with an idea that Ben Little gave me this week, which is just the impact that, that this would have had on the hearers to hear that the Samaritan is the hero of the story is really hard for us to connect with. You know, for an evangelical Christian living in this area, that was a pretty good analogy. Because the Samaritans were, you know, in the Jews' perspective, total infidels. They weren't worshiping in Jerusalem. There was a lot of polytheism going on. They're worshiping other gods and kind of this mix of what was, you know, kind of the Jewish faith with all these different things. So they're just seeing them as total, you know, maybe spirit worshipers. There's a racial thing going on as well. So Jesus is putting this, this person as the hero of the story, which is interesting. I don't know what you talked about at your tables about why Jesus would do that. Um, he didn't tell the man that, that to be a neighbor to a Samaritan in answer to his question. He just made the Samaritan a neighbor to this unknown man that was, you know, beaten and robbed. Um, Jesus, again, asks another question. Hey, so who was a neighbor to this man? You know, the one who showed him mercy. Go and do the same. That's the end of the story. I was sitting at the table, I was like, Jade, why, you know, why, did, why did Jesus flip this? You know, why did he flip the question and kind of flip the story to who was a neighbor rather than who is my neighbor? Well, we're dealing with this in this story. We have answers. What was that next A word that I use? He wanted to arrive to check a box, right? Um, and now he, Jesus is moving away again from a clear-cut list of the seven people or 17 people or 77 people who, who may or may not be the people that you have to love, right? Instead, and Jay was kind of commenting about this, he, he flips it. It goes from something that's out there, an answer, an arrival, kind of a clear-cut list, to something that's in here. Who was a neighbor? He goes from uh, something that is easy to measure to something that's, that's uh, much less easy to measure. But, and it speaks to more of who we are on the inside. Like, am I, the real question is, am I a neighbor? Am I someone who is, is seeing others as 
worthy of love. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's any of us that would, you know, um, ask that same question today. I think just with the passing of time from stories like this one and kind of the golden rule that was kind of a big cultural phrase in our country for a long time, I don't think most of us are asking that question, oh, well, who is my neighbor? You know, like, do I have, you know, who's my, am I my brother's keeper? I think there's a general knowledge that, hey, in our world, you know, you're supposed to love everybody and there's, there's image of God or at least, you know, unalienable rights that each person has, you know, just from our country. Um, I, so I think, though, the, the, the key for us is, and this is where I feel it in my own life, is how do I do that? Because what this passage is describing is someone that has space for people. Just, thank you, Jade. Just give some credit where credit's due. Um, I do physical space and, and emotional space. Like why did, he, why did he slow down and stop? Why did, the, why did the pastor and the elder pass by on the other side or speed on? Well, pardon me. I mean, we know all about that. Driving around at 60 miles an hour in our cars, a list of things to do, a thousand emails to check in a month or a week. I mean, some of you at your jobs, you're probably getting a gazillion emails, right? Um, our, our culture has, has totally sped us up and, and is trying to steal as much of our space as it can. I'm not saying everything in our culture is bad, but if there's, if there's, a, weak, if there's a weakness, which there are many, like every culture, one of ours is our relationship to time. You know, with these little devils that we carry around in our pockets that are constantly dinging and ringing and pinging and, and you know, wired to make our brains just want more. Man, we're, we are just fighting a, a huge fight to have space. You know, if you compare our lives to even just probably 50 years ago, you know, when your parents, or your, maybe when your grandparents were our age, you know, somewhere in there, I mean, life has just continued to speed up if, you know, if we let it, if we just go with the flow. And there's an emotional space as well that is necessary. Because in order to set aside your agenda, uh, pull over the car, there has to be an openness to a person to their story, to their imperfections, to their own baggage. And that is what it means to be a neighbor. There's a lot of things we can do in our life to kind of be a normal kind of American neighbor, which isn't much, to be honest. The bar is pretty low for what it looks like to be a neighbor, I think, in most places. Um, but according to Jesus, it looks like what this Samaritan did, and that requires a slowing down and a creating of space. So final question, how do we get space? How do we, how do we get space in our lives when the world is speeding us up and 
when we have our own kind of monkey brain thoughts, emotional garbage happening in our own lives to, to have space for somebody else. Well, let's go contextual here. So right after this passage, actually Luke 10 is an incredible chapter. I mean, it's just one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible, honestly. Uh, there's a whole church planning movement named Luke 10. There's just a ton in this chapter. It starts with Jesus sending his disciples out on a mission and describing what it looks like in the kingdom to plant churches. Uh, then there's this story about the two greatest commandments, which is revealed, and then what it looks like to love your neighbor. And there's a couple other passages in there too, a couple other sections. But it, the chapter ends with a, a well-known passage about Mary and Martha hosting Jesus and, his, and their disciples in their home. And so immediately after the story of the Good Samaritan, where you hear what it looks like to be a good neighbor, then I believe you hear what it, what, what it takes to become a neighbor. And the story, if you don't know it, um, Mary and Martha are sisters. They're hosting Jesus and his disciples. And Martha, man, she's busy. She's, she's got a checklist of food to make, things to clean up, dishes to bring out, clear the table, bring the next course. Uh, she, man, she's, she's flying. She's an American, 100%. Hard worker, you know, having people over when everything all set, you know, just good impression. And boy, Middle Eastern Mary is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus all the time in the world. And Jesus, you know, Mary, I'm sorry, Martha comes over and is like, Jesus, don't you see that I am just out straight? I'm so busy. And Jesus has no, no space for that comment, all the space in the world for Martha. But he will not entertain Martha's complaint in, in, the, in the sense of, oh, I'm so sorry, Martha. I'm sorry, you're so busy. You've been working so hard to serve us, you know? Which you'd think that would be polite, right? I mean, instead, he challenges her. He's like, hey, Mary has chosen the better. Actually, like, the, the only thing, and I'm not taking that away from her. What was Mary doing? It says she was sitting and listening. That is what space is, it's, and that is what prayer is. If you boil down the essence of our lives, that first command to love God, it's, it's first, we need to learn to pray. If you desire to become a neighbor and to follow Jesus into this place of loving people, it requires space. You just can't do it without space. Now, you can do some willpower for a little while, but it won't last. You'll reach your capacity. The real, you know, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And, and so the path is we need, to, we need to work with the Holy Spirit to learn to pray in such a way that we are living our lives listening to Jesus. That our whole life is actually spent in, you know, proverbially, metaphorically, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then bringing that into the place of the kitchen where we're listening to Jesus while we're washing the dishes, right? Which we've learned from Brother Lawrence. That we can now, because Jesus has sent the Spirit, we don't all have to be monks. We can actually sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him all, all the time. 
And, and um, I just, I just want to say again, this is the Christian life. It is to learn to pray. It is to, it is to grow in being with God. That is the picture that Jesus is telling us with Mary. And it's where the power comes from to love those around us. Now again, there's a, there's a play here because the Samaritan is just taking action. We don't see his inner world. The story doesn't go that deep. But, he, but we know he's got space. He stops. He pulls the donkey over, right? He spends his own money. He slows what his plan was down. And I think often that's the place to start to learn how to pray and to have space for others. It's just, a, it's just a simple discipline of slowing yourself down. Maybe it requires examining your, your calendar. Uh, maybe it's just the pace at which you walk or drive. All of these are little disciplines that can help us learn to pray. Because again, if we don't slow down, we don't know how to pray. It's, Jesus, it's surprising with the world in, you know, <laughs> the world hanging in the balance. Jesus, after he's resurrected, is just probably doing an Asian squat. And we see him cooking breakfast for the disciples. Ever thought about that passage? Man, the guy's resurrected from the dead. He's appearing to people. And like, there's people who have never heard his name and he could be appearing all over the world and you know, starting a revival, and he's on the side of the shore, kind of waving to the disciples, hey, cast the net on the other side. Let's, you know, catch some fish. They're like, okay. They do, they catch all these fish, and they go, it's the Lord, you know? And they find him there by the time they get to the shore, and he's just kneeling down, cooking some fish, making breakfast, slowing it down. God's not in a hurry. We would like to think everything's got to happen now. The world's got to get saved we got to do this. we got to get that done. The speed of, of prayer is slow. That's the speed. And God's wanting us to learn that because he wants us to know him and to be with him and to see the people around us and to see him. A dear friend of mine um, was a pastor in the Antioch movement. I just never forget, he went through incredibly difficult period of his life. I mean, just really hard. Hard to describe. Can't do it in a short period of time. And he just, and after he came out of that, um, he said, the Lord taught me a number of things. And one of them was this. He said, you can't love people when you're in a hurry. That's a very simple thing, but there's an incredible depth to that statement. And so my encouragement to you is just, hey, you know, ask the Lord as you're at your tables, maybe share with one another, what does it look like for you to slow down? To slow down to pray, to slow down to see people, to slow your mind down so that you're not thinking while someone else is talking to you? I do that all the time. That's not listening. That's not space. That's not slow. That's the speed of prayer. And if we can learn to pray and learn to be with God, learn to sit at Jesus' feet, then, then neighboring will be natural. It really will, because we, we will just become a neighbor. Right? It's easy to be one when you are one inside. Um, so let's take a few minutes, and just the question now is just, hey, 
Is there something that the Holy Spirit is highlighting for you? Something that stood out? Something that you feel stirring in you as you're hearing me talk about this? And maybe not. Maybe it will be something else you already talked about from the passage that I didn't, I didn't highlight. Um, and then if you have a minute, pray for each other as you respond. Okay? And the worship team will come back up in five minutes and we'll sing one more song.